What happened to your eyes? Where we're going. We won't need eyes to see. What are you talking about? I created the event horizon to reach the stars. But she's gone much, much farther than that. Well, first off, I'd like to uh, welcome you to my home, Evan. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man. It's uh, it's cool. It's It's been a while since I've done an actual in-person uh, podcast episode with anyone. I mean, Ralph and I did one when I was in Germany, and that was awesome. You know, everything else for the last couple of years, surely, has been uh, remote you know, via like Skype or Zoom or mobile or whatever. So it's cool to have you up here, man. Hell yeah. Um, I think it's been, it's been over 10 years since uh, I've done something like this too. It did some like college radio back in the day, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's a, it's a completely different dynamic, but it's cool though. You know, yeah. I, I dig it. So we, we, uh, we actually spent the weekend up here in lovely New Jersey. We uh, had an excursion out to Brooklyn or and Queens and Manhattan in the Bronx, actually. <laughs> yeah, I got like the the full like and you know, Staten experience. Island. The like we drove experience. across all five boroughs. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome, man. Yeah, it was awesome. I was really digging that too. I mean, like I told you, I'd only been to New York twice prior to this, so like you know, and uh, I, this was like the best way to do it with you know somebody who actually knows the lay of the land and like get to meet your friends who were all of them super cool, super awesome. So yeah, I had a really rad time. And you got to also meet the one and only uh, Mr. Mike Scandato. That's right, I did, yeah. And his, uh, his lovely lady, Stella. Yeah, nice people. Yeah, Actually, that was a lot of fun yesterday at the Krampus Market, you know, at the Flying Fox. You know, shout out to the Flying Fox in Ridgewood, Queens. And, uh, yeah, it was a good time, man. I love doing stuff like that. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, really cool vibe, and, like, all the vendors that were there were super chill and had really good stuff. And, like, yeah, I definitely want to do something like that again. Yeah, there's... um. I'm going to say she's a promoter. It's called Heavy Horror, and you got you guys should follow her on Instagram, and she's an organizer of all these different, you know, vendor events. And, uh, yeah, they got a cool – It's fun, every few years, like, something like that pops up where there will be, like, a promoter who puts on these cool events where people get to, you know, sell their – you know, vend their crafts. You know, you buy records. Uh, you know, people make their, you know, clothing. I bought – actually, I dropped – quite a bit of cash yesterday i got a bunch of records i got a uh, really a handmade silk pillow yeah super nice too yeah and and uh one of stella's like handmade shirts and uh, i gotta say that pillow i think it really pulls the room together <laughs> sure does <laughs> Um, also shout out to the, the flying Fox. Um, that bar was like super cool. Um, I asked, uh, one of the vendors, like, you know, if they were taking anything from, from them, uh, to be there. And they said, no, like that place was letting all them like just sell their stuff for free. And like the, the staff there was super nice and like, yeah, a really cool vibe in that place too. So if any of you guys are in that area, definitely go check out the flying Fox. That's one of the cool things about New York every now and then it's like, you know, you and I would talk because I, I lived in New York for decades until I moved out here to New Jersey. And, uh, you know, I consider, even though I live out here in Jersey and I love the state of New Jersey, I consider myself a New Yorker because I was born in New York, not, not in the city, but in the state and spent most of my life living there. But one of my biggest criticisms of New York City is how everyone has their hand in your pocket uh, and like every move you make, you drop it like, you know, $10 here, $20 here, $50 here. You know, another five bucks here. You got to tip this guy. And next thing you know, you're like $200 in the hole just from going around the block. You know right, I mean? right. You haven't even done anything yet. You haven't even done anything <laughs> yet. And it's like, it's really nice to see that uh, 
there's people that are actually just motivated by doing cool stuff instead of making cash, a quick buck off of people, you know? Sure. I mean, and, you know, I got the, the vibe there that, like, they understood that, um, you know, if, if the vendors do well, then the, the bar does well, yeah. you know? So, like, everyone's making money, you know, and one hand washes the other kind of thing, you know? And also just, like, the the vibe of that place, too, is, is pretty awesome. It's um very, you know, very much horror-centric, you know? There's, like, all these, like, uh, prints of Elvira, not Elvira, uh, of Vampira, Vamp- Vamp- Vampira. Vampira. Uh, this gigantic Hellraiser poster in the men's room, or the, just one of the men's room, one of the bathrooms, bathrooms yeah. or whatever. And, um, you know, there's a huge coffin above the bar. <laughs> Some prosthetic legs. And prosthetic stuff. legs. Yeah. There's, like, monitors playing, like, the old episodes of the Monsters. And, yeah. You know. Yeah, it's, like, totally up my alley. I loved it. Like, yeah, it's great. And, and unlike some other spots in New York City that I've been to uh, that kind of cater to, like, horror this is like a very punk metal aesthetic. Like the people that were hanging out were all like dudes that were like, you know, part of like the culture that you and I are part of. And, uh, the DJ was playing, they're killing it with the music. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, it was just like an overall great way to spend the afternoon. Yeah, absolutely. Really, really cool time. And, uh, like I said, um, I really, I really like that place. So, you know, shout out to those guys. So today's episode of uh, Hollywood Babylon, this is our second installment of this show that's on the Patreon uh, platform. So, uh, you know, thanks everyone for supporting the, pa- the Patreon. And, uh, you know, we've been trying to get content out to you guys on a weekly basis. And um, this is one of the efforts that we have. And uh, this first, the first pilot episode was on the regular stream. But everything else is going to reside here for you guys, the, uh, the Legion, the Everything Went Black Legion. So, uh Today, today's uh, entry into this pantheon of stuff, uh, we're going to be talking about Event Horizon. Hell yeah. Yeah, so a couple of particulars about that movie. Event Horizon uh, came out in the United States August 15th, 1997. In the UK, August 22nd, 1997. was directed by Paul W.S. Anderson and written by Philip Eisner. Now, Paul Anderson, <clears throat> prior to making this film, had done uh, Mortal Kombat, which I didn't see. Have you seen that? I have seen it, yeah. Yeah. I haven't actually seen any of his things, believe it or not. <laughs> this is like, I saw I saw Alien vs. Predator. Uh, he was kind of the creative force behind Resident Evil. I've seen Resident Evil mm-hmm. and Death Race. And not, not Death Race, I think that was, uh, Jason Statham was in that. Yeah. And it was like a... Sort of a not not even really a remake, but like a uh, spiritual successor of the vibe of the uh, David Carradine film, Death Race Two Thousand, the Roger Corman production. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, which I'm a big fan of that yeah, one. Absolutely, Sylvester Stallone's in that too. Yeah, right. yeah. And you know how we all we all you guys all know how I feel about Sly. So yeah, Sly and, and Arnold are like my my, my guys. Those, those are your guys. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I had mentioned to you, uh, when we were watching this, that, um, he had done that Mortal Kombat, but I, I joked around and like, he probably just did that film to like pay the bills. But uh, upon like doing some research, it turns out he's a huge video game fan. Yeah. So like, um, and we'll touch on this when we start talking about the movie, but there's like, even in this movie, he does some references to the video game doom and like, obviously he did the resident evil series and the Mortal Kombat. And, uh, so yeah, turns out he's just a, a a fucking gamer nerd and like you know he really likes to to do that kind of stuff well some of the criticisms that i've read about the movie was that they they considered it to be almost like too much 
of a video game vibe to it, which I don't even see in this I, film. No, I know I don't see that either. No. You know, pe- people will find any reason to fucking criticize something. You know what I mean? That's a drag. I think. You know. Haters, man. Yeah. Surrounded by haters. <laughs> now, before we start talking about the film, this this is uh you know it's an older movie. It came out in '97. What what was your introduction to this movie? Like, where, when did you first see this? You know, um, I remember it really vividly. We used to have this video rental place um, in in my hometown called Video World, and it's you know your typical like blockbuster or whatever kind of s- spot. And um, I was just making my way through the sci-fi section because um, I realized that like in my like teenage years that that was like a genre that I was really really into. So I just was going down, and I asked the um, I asked the guy, uh, asked the guy behind the counter. It's like, hey, this is like I'm into this alien and like this kind of stuff. Like, what do you recommend? He's like, check out Event Horizon if you haven't seen that. And so rented that and was like blown away. And I, yeah, since then I've probably seen that maybe twenty times. <laughs> now I, I'm going to say that Event Horizon is probably um, equaled only by Alien as far as like the combo of sci-fi and horror. Right. Horror, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean. Um, <clears throat> I saw a description of this movie, and I think it fits it perfectly. It's uh, Alien meets The Shining. And also, I might add, and you and I think might agree on this, that it's like Alien crossed with The Shining crossed with Moby Dick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, it's the, it's, you know, the when someone's pride in something uh, just, like, blocks all their, like, good judgment, and they, you know, just... Can't see the writing on the wall. Absolutely. Definitely yeah. agree with that analogy. So, like, my introduction to this film was back in the 90s when I was living in Boston. Uh, you know, it was in the, a more um, freewheeling era of my life. I was living in this house on Mission Hill with a bunch of degenerates, like uh, hooligan types. And now uh, we had this apartment on Calumet Street. And, um, you know... I was never really sure who actually lived there, you know, who <laughs> yeah. was on the lease. Yeah, and yeah. Like, I know I lived there for a period of time. I've had a few houses like that. When I first moved in, I was living on the couch. Uh, there was like a, a attic room that Slapshot had practice at. Oh, you know? right on. <laughs> <laughs> because um, the guys in 10 Yard Fight lived there. And there's a, a, a maybe a year period where basically 10 Yard Fight was Slapshot. In Boston. Okay. So they would rehearse in the attic. That's so crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, I, I can't even imagine what that sounded like outside. But, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it was but the, the neighborhood. <laughs> they probably hated it. <laughs> the neighborhood was pretty was pretty buck wild back then. As oh, that's far cool. as like that's cool. you know, kinda like a like a the Wild West mm. you know, for any any old like Boston types. I mean Mission Hill now is totally different, but back then it was a little bit of like a, the Wild West like frontier land. So you know, kind of a da- more dangerous, like sketchier area. Sounds like a good time. Yeah. So like, that was uh, you know, fr- the free will in '90s, and um, like I said, I don't, I don't really under, I never really knew who was actually on the lease, who lived there. We had guys coming in and out. One room would be vacated, another guy would move in. There'd always be dudes on the couch, like pit bulls, like hanging out, like <laughs> you know, yeah, stuff like that. Right. You know what I mean, like real, like parties dudes who get thrown off the railing you know, yeah, right. blood on the yeah. sidewalk like that kind of stuff broken walls broken doors yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. yeah so i don't know who rented this movie but one day this film showed up from block blockbuster on vhs in the living room and uh it was event horizon and this is the back when there wasn't really the internet was around 
but it wasn't like it is now where you didn't have it with you 24 mm-hmm. seven. You had to like go to your AOL account or whatever and your, your dial up modem and <laughs> right. get online. Wait so, 10 minutes to download something. Yeah. So like information wasn't disseminated the same way. Like you didn't just know about movies. So event horizon, because I was always a big fan of horror. Like I read about it in, in like, you know, like maybe Fangoria or something like that. Right. And I was aware of it. And then when this, this VHS tape showed up, I was like, oh, I want to see this movie. So we watched it one night, and um, and I was totally blown away because the 90s were kind of like a low point for horror in general. You know what I mean? I feel like, you know, there was like the ironic horror, like, like Scream, you know, and Scary mm-hmm. Movie was like big. And they're really, in the States at least, there wasn't a lot of like legit, like serious toned horror. You know, there's tons of stuff coming in from Italy and Europe and whatnot in Japan. But as far as, like, serious, you, you know, U.S.-based stuff, there really wasn't a lot of that. Now, that, that VHS tape never got returned. Of course not. It <laughs> just, like, <laughs> I don't know who rented it. It wasn't me. And, like, you know, back then, it was you couldn't track anyone down. So nah. that just ended up, for all I know, it's still in that apartment. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. So that's uh, that's just something I would revisit that. It's just, built into the foundation of the... Yeah, I would just like trip out in this movie all the time and watch it, like show it to people. But, oh, you see Event Horizon. So that, and, and as a result of that, it just became one of my all-time favorite, I would say horror movies, really. Even though it is a science fiction film, to me, it has more in common with like cosmic horror than it does with like hard science fiction, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, because it's like, yeah, there's spaceships, there's interstellar travel, you know, there's like, but there's this sort of occult element to it of going into other dimensions that may be perceived as hell, uh, you know, science verging on magic, you know? Absolutely. And and just like unknown terrors beyond the, the confines of our mundane reality. You know, so in a lot of ways, this is almost like a Lovecraftian story, you know, crossed with like, you know, Moby Dick. You know what I mean? Absolutely. You know, at the time, I mean, you know, I'm sure somebody will correct me, but as far as I knew, um, up until that point, there wasn't really too many movies or any movie that I was aware of that combined like the concept of hell with the exploration of space. And um, I think that's just a really unique idea. And it's something that makes, for me, it's one of the reasons why this movie is so cool. Because, you know, it, it raises a lot of questions in your head. And, and they never really get answered, which is even better. So, um, yeah, I absolutely adore, like the, like, the concept of this film. It's really, really interesting. Yeah, that's a fascinating point, man. Like, like um, you know, one of the things that I always, like, muse on is, like, you know, the... Science versus magic, you know, science and the occult and uh, the confines of our own understanding of the reality that we live in, looking at a broader spectrum of reality, which exists beyond what we can perceive, you know, and that's like kind of the building blocks of like, you know, cosmic horror, you know, explored by Lovecraft. Sure. You know, and on some level, it seems believable, like, you know, I remember when they when people were like super worried about that like uh, particle collider that they built, you know, that they were going to create a, a, war, a black hole that was going to destroy, you know, the fucking earth or something. Right. right. But I mean, there is, and, and it could just be because we've watched too many science fiction films, but there's, you know, somebody accidentally invented like the nuclear bomb. Right. So we can, abs- uh, we could definitely stumble across some 
something, some dimension or some crazy like invention um, that, you know, would border more on the side of like the, the cosmic or like the monstrous, you know, just by accident. So by like, accident. Yeah, yeah. Right. So let's just do like a quick <clears throat> rundown of like what this movie's about for any of you guys out there who haven't seen it. Now, just to let you know, a few years ago, me and Mike covered this on Necromaniacs. And if you want to check out that episode, you can go back into the log of Necromaniacs. But I feel like this, uh, the approach that we have on, on Hollywood Babylon is a little bit different. So, uh, you know, it's a bit of a revisitation of this film. But this time around, it's me and, and Evan talking about it. So we're going to get some different perspectives. Uh, so the Event Horizon is a spacecraft with uh, an experimental drive designed by Dr. Weir. Okay, and we'll go into we'll get into who's who plays who soon. And now uh, the craft disappeared on its maiden voyage to Proxima Centauri seven years prior to the events chronicled in this film. Uh, the ship reappears at the edge of our solar system around new around Neptune, and uh, the Lewis and Clark, which is a um, you know more of like a utility rescue ship, is sent out there to investigate what's going on. And there is a transmission that they receive, a distress signal, that uh, is basically just noise, screams, and a phrase that is at first perceived to be the Latin phrase, liberate me, which means save me. Okay, but we learned there's a little bit different things going on later on. Now, Dr. Weir accompanies them because, you know, this is his invention, and he would have more of a deeper understanding about you know, the mechanics of the ship and all that kind of stuff. Now, it turns out that his, this experimental drive, there's a neat scene where he asks the crew, like, you know, what's the shortest point between uh, two points? And, you know, and the ship engineer was like, you know, since engineers like to solve problems, he's like, straight line. And he's like, that's incorrect. We fold space so that we minimize the distance between these two points and you step in through this black hole and just reappear on this other side of the universe. And that's what his experimental drive is. It creates an artificial black hole in the core of this event horizon ship and transport it from point A to point B, thousands of light years <clears throat> across the universe. And that's uh, the basic setting of this, uh, of this film. And a little side note, uh, <laughs> something that I just thought was interesting was um, the movie... Uh, Interstellar with Matthew McConaughey actually almost like word for word uh, uses this exact scene to describe uh, a very similar, very similar thing in that film as well. So um, obviously uh, they were showing a little bit of homage to uh, to Event Horizon, which is cool. Now the cast, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> the cast is uh, filled with a bunch of really cool actors. Okay, we got Lawrence Fishburne as Captain Miller. He's uh, the commander of uh, Lewis and Clark. The legendary Sam Neill. Yeah, I mean, come on. Who's cooler than him? The peerless <laughs> Sam Neill as, uh, as Dr. Weir. And he's the designer of the Event Horizon and its uh, you know experimental drive. We have Kathleen Quinlan as Peters, the medical technician. Uh, Jolie Richardson, who you guys might have seen in uh, Color Out of Space. Uh, she plays uh, Lieutenant Stark. Uh, Richard T. Jones as Cooper. He's the rescue tech. And also uh, typical in a lot of these 90s films. Kind of the comic relief, too. Yeah. 
but you know, he's a cool character though. I, I kind of appreciate it. Like, you know, he had some good lines in the movie. He absolutely sure. did. Yeah. Uh, Jack Noseworthy as Ensign, Ensign Just, Justin, the uh, chief engineer of Lewis and Clark. Baby-faced guy. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, Jason Isaacs. Isaacs is DJ, the medical doctor, who's also kind of like, has this cold, like, his character is weird because he just, he has almost this, like, he seems like a serial killer or something like that. He's also that uh, that that blonde fucker's uh, dad in Harry Potter. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah, he has this like weird like detachment, like this sketchy like vibe about him, which Absolutely. is like, kind of uncomfortable, you know? Yeah, yeah. And we have uh Sean Pertwee, like a you know, British heartthrob, you know, cool hat in this movie. <laughs> yeah. And uh he's uh Smith. He's a pilot. You know, he's like this kind of rough and tumble, gruff British guy, you know what I mean? And he's made a lot of uh, uh, appearances in in uh, this this sort of film. You know, he's always got a, a, a similar role like this. You know, like no nonsense. Yeah, know. yeah, and and just kind of like you know, like he's he's from the streets or something like yeah, that. Yeah, like yeah. working class, working like class, right, right. Yeah, 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 very, very, uh, very, you know, gruff exterior kind of guy. Utilitarian, utilitarian. Guy. Yeah. So that's essentially all the main characters in in the film. And, um, you know, it, it creates this, like, claustrophobic sort of vibe because, you know, everyone's stuck on this sh- on this ship and they traverse out to uh, to check out the uh, the event horizon and then they're on that setting, you know. Now, what what in this film s- is scary to you? Um, well, number one, I think always space is just a, a, a perfect setting for horror because you know, you can't go anywhere, you know, you're just, you're trapped on this, on this ship, you know, and whether it's, you're dealing with, you know, this black hole drive or you're dealing with some alien creature, um, space is just always something that kind of gives me a little bit of like anxiety, just because if you start to think about the vastness of space and being lost in space, um, yeah, it's just that, that, that kind of like builds a little bit of tension in me, just that alone. And then, um, I remember when I when I was when I first saw this movie, uh, the, a lot of the hallucinations that people were seeing uh, were, were pretty terrifying. Sam Neill's wife um, pops up a couple times, and uh, she's like eyeless, and I remember that just being a bit shocking. And um, but yeah, I, I would say currently, like after this rewatch, the the thing that still sits with me is just the that isolation, and and then and the knowledge that like you know you're you're stuck in space. And there's no way to get out. Yeah, to, s- same over here, man. Like the idea, like when you're on planet Earth, you know all the, everything is more or less known. And I think, you know, you, you get in your car, you drive down the street, you go to the grocery store. You know, you, you perceive people. Like your scope of reality is very, very much finite, and you you have you you have all the all the, there's not very many variables. You know, and I think that's why deep sea stuff scares me too. Oh, I get the same. Yeah, you know? the same. But when you're, you're stepping into a world where you don't really know the rules, you know, and, and in space, there's a concept of infinity, which always is very, you can become insane thinking about it, the infinite, you know, and you're in a completely different environment, a hostile environment, the vacuum of space, obviously, you know, and that right. weighs heavily on some of these, uh, some of the characters in this film. And also the idea that you are probably not, 
in full understanding of the forces around you, which this movie kind of addresses really, Mm -hmm. you know, the idea that even the ideas of religion and hell and demons and all that sort of stuff is our projection based on our own intellect of forces in the universe that might be greater than that, that might actually be quote unquote natural, but it's beyond our understanding. And that's what to me is scary about this movie. Yeah. Also like, you know, in space, and, you know, you can go insane thinking about this stuff, like you said, but like in space, you know, there's no up, there's no down, there's no left, there's no right. There's just everything. And it, uh, everything's moving in all directions at the same time. And you are more or less just like a microbe in, in relation to everything else that's in that's in outer space, you know. And uh, and then you add on top of that that not only is, this vast, or is there this vastness in outer space, but then this maybe also proposes that there's – other dimensions as well so you know there's just layer on layer of just how insignificant we are and you start if you start dwelling on that for a little while like that's gonna start like maybe giving you a panic attack so maybe don't do that <laughs> yeah quick aside I, I i recently heard an interview with uh, neil degrasse tyson and uh you know he's like you know one of, one of my favorite people to listen to you know mm-hmm. and i think it's pretty much an understood fact quote unquote in astrophysics that there are there is a multiverse yeah for sure that there is like infinite dimensions out there you know and there's always you know the the people always bring this up that there's the this you and i exist in other dimensions infinitely doing exact living our exact lives right and there's also every iteration of our existence infinitely and then there's realities where you and I don't even exist. I want to find the one where I'm like a, a millionaire, kill him and then like take yeah. over. <laughs> That's what I was thinking too, man. Maybe I can find the, the dimension where I'm actually successful and like fucking, <laughs> right. you know, killing it on every level. Right, exactly. I'll go there. There has know? to be one, right? Yeah. There has to, there has to be an infinite number of those. Right. right, right. Yeah. So that's, uh, yeah, that, that's kind of what this movie to me at least like, you know, deals with. And also, the the uh the captain uh the doctor Weir character, you know he's kind of like the Ahab, you know, in, right. in Moby Dick, mm-hmm. and um, his wife committed suicide, so he's haunted by that. Uh, you know, there he has these recurring visions of her, you know, in hell basically, and then reliving the moments of her suicide and his powerlessness to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. So you know he's like a haunted guy, and that's why he's you know, agreed to go out on this mission and all that, you know, and uh, right there, that's like, to me, an int- you know, that, that conflicted character is, uh, is always like very attractive to me in these kind of stories. Right. You know? And, um, and also in real world, uh, real world context, um, I was uh, doing a little research this morning and found out that the writer of this film actually uh, dealt with something he, it was not disclosed what it was, but he said a, a, a very personal incident happened in his life, and he sort of wrote this film as a cathartic dump. Um, so I can only imagine some of these, like uh, like either Sam Neill's wife or um, the one woman's uh, son. Uh, it's very like prominent in the film, and uh, I, I imagine uh, something similar. Probably this this poor guy probably went through something similar and and used this this movie has a chance to sort of get some of this stuff uh, off his chest. Yeah. I mean, there's a big uh, vibe of um, grief and loss in this film. 
you know, because I mean, you know, well, I guess let's get into that now. Sure. Is um, you know, so so Miller, Captain Miller, played by Lawrence Fishburne, he also has a loss too, where there was like an incident that happened in his past, where a crew member had to be left behind. Oh right, yeah, yeah. Right, so that's a recurring theme for him. Like he has these visions of this guy being burned alive, and you know, like, and his feeling of responsibility for that. Uh, Weir has his wife, and uh, what's her name? Kathleen. Kathleen uh, Peters. Peters. Her her um her her grief is she has a, a son, and like he's got you know problems with his legs, and you know he's a handicapped, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. A better for lack of a better term, and a failed marriage. Right. So there's these three elements of loss, you know, death, uh, failed relationship, you know, irris- like lat- feelings of responsibility. Um, you know, and Peter's, she goes on these deep, spe- deep space missions all the time. So, yes, she has to leave her family. Right. So that these themes kind of like really play heavily into the story, you know. And, you know, we, we touched on, on Captain Ahab, you know, and like in Moby Dick, Captain Ahab has this singular mission to to kill the whale right you know to that's like at the expense of everything right all right so that's kind of like we're focusing on the event horizon and dragging this this crew basically into hell at with no just this singular vision of what what to do and that's kind of to me like you know, back in the '90s when I saw this, I don't think that really jumped out at me. But like more recently, in rewatching this movie, and I think you and I had talked about we it, did, yeah. we both agreed that it was like, oh yeah, this is kind of like a, a vibe on, like a riff on the Moby Dick story too. Right, because I mean, it's it's very uh, early on in the film when um, these strange hallucinations start to happen, and of course, um, even um, Sam Neill's character, Doctor Weir, Doctor Weir also has one of these hallucinations, and they all come uh, kind of come back together in like the command center of the uh, of the spaceship and everyone's sharing stories except for him he keeps it to himself even though he's sharing the same thing he either doesn't want to believe it or uh, just he's so hyper focused on on his creation his invention and how and and that god complex of like creating something that it cannot be flawed because i made this that he's like in, unable to like be reasonable and rational in this uh, situation yeah we're we're is a very interesting character very complex you know what i mean because like he's he's like one one of the characters that i always like relate to is like the kind of person who has like good intentions you know but is like completely has had some devastating thing happen to them that skews his judgment and he creates chaos right know? yeah and that's always an interesting character to have in a, in a story yeah, for sure. Yeah. So uh, our our crew, they come upon uh, the Vent Horizon, and they they board the ship, and um, they find like basically the, what looks like the site of like carnage, and uh, you know weightlessness, and there's no gravity on the ship, and uh, you know, um, there's just a mystery as to what happened. There's no signs of life or anything like that. And um, that's when uh, Justin goes down into the engine room, you know, because he's the engineer. Mm-hmm. So he has to go down, check out the drive. And there's this, like, black pool, this, like, Thomas Legadian mass of blackness <laughs> right. that he just is compelled to reach into, and it pulls him through. 
and that's when he gets rescued. And um, this is when we start getting an insight into what actually might have happened. So he gets recovered, and um, he's in like basically in a coma, and uh, he gives a warning about what's coming. And he says they're coming like the dark, right? You know, so, so now now we're like we're on the edge of reality. We're on the sort of passage, the portal between like two worlds, essentially, with the with the event horizon. And um, one thing I, I wanted to comment on, which I, I I found I found comical in this uh, movie, was um, you know they. They arrive on the ship, and uh, you know, at first they they don't see much. They see like a little spot of blood, like on the corner of some like command center or or you know control panel. And um, the power is kind of uh, unstable at this point, so there's like flickering lights, and you, the viewer, like get like little glimpses of something in the background, but you're not really. I mean, you can't really see what it is quite yet until they get the power stabilized, and then all the lights come on, and like on the walls are just all this carry on and bones and skulls. And they never clean it off. Nope. They, they just, just they it. just fucking leave it the whole time they're <laughs> in that ship. They're just hanging out with all these bones and like it's no big. Deal. Like, they're shocked at first, but then afterwards it's like, eh, whatever. It's just a bunch of bones and carry on. <laughs> <laughs> so now now that we're on the event horizon, there's two different, completely different vibes going on. There's like the Lewis and Clark, which looks like a spaceship. You know, it looks like it's like you know your typical spacecraft, what you think of as a spacecraft. But the event horizon. It's almost like, uh, you know, like H.R. Geiger designed like a spaceship. Right, right. So now I learned that apparently uh, the design of the Event Horizon was modeled after the Notre Dame Cathedral. Oh, right on. Yeah. I can totally see that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like they they had actually did. I mean, this is like, you know, I don't I'm I'm not going to stand behind this 100 percent. But apparently in some of the places I've read that they, they scanned, they had like a scan of like a 3D scan of the event of uh, the Notre Dame Cathedral. Yeah. And they used elements of that to model the uh, the event horizon. Oh, that's really cool. And I mean, also, I mean, just what kind of implication that has as well. Like you, the designer, know that you're making a spaceship that's going to hell look like the cathedral. Like, I think that's pretty interesting. Like, that's, yeah. a, that's a, a smart choice. You know, yeah. So there's like tongue in cheek. So you go, it's super dark on there. You know, it's like real gothic looking. There's, you know, there's like these these uh, columns, like the corridors are like, I don't know. It's just like an interesting choice. It made they basically made it into a, like some kind of haunted house or something. You know, like some gothic, like castle or something. Right, right. You know, and like the um, uh, since we're we're on like the topic of architecture. Um, the there's a there's a long hallway that leads down to where the event horizon is and uh uh, i think both of us agree that that's sort of like the the dante inferno like moment in the film like or or, uh, part of the ship where you're like you're actually you know you're going from like you know earthly the earthly realm and crossing over into hell and at the center of it is the actual uh event horizon um and one thing that you brought up that I I was just uh, having uh, I was just having a laugh about was like um, there's just all like it's such a dangerous design like this oh, whole, yeah. this whole room is full of spikes <laughs> and like there's a there's a, um, a you know an uncovered uh, black pool of who knows what <laughs> you know there's this like 
floating apparatus, which is the the event horizon. It's like all these huge metal rings that are just spinning around a central sphere, but it's not contained in any way. It's just yeah. the, the whole thing. It's just like who like, uh, obviously Dr. Weir like safety was not like his top concern when designing this. this well, the device. funny part about it too is like when Weir brings the crew down there, he's like, "Oh no, it's perfectly safe." <laughs> Right, right. And I'm like, bro, that does not look safe. <laughs> not to me. at There's all. There's like spikes everywhere. <laughs> this thing looks like I could it could cut me to pieces like at any time, you know. Yeah, it was like, uh, yeah, it was that that one was really that part was really funny to me. Yeah. So the ship. The thing I like about this film too is that there's no monster, you know, like like in Alien. There's obviously you know, the 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 xenomorph right you now, like hunting everyone down. Right. And, and once again, this is like a weird fiction story, man. It's like there's this presence that's manipulating people. You know, everyone is having their – similar to The Shining. I guess this is where The Shining comparisons come in. Yeah. Where there's manifestations of past events that's haunting everyone. And it's personal to that person. And it's yeah. dialed into, like, their psyches, you yeah. know. And, like – but with The Shining, though, it's more of, like, the location is, like – capturing all these ghosts i guess and that's what people are experiencing like like say if you and i went to like the overlook you know like we we would see what everyone else sees in those rooms like right we right experience right. that like it wouldn't be a personalized you know torment definitely definitely yeah you know but yeah and that's that's another like dante-esque aspect of this film too where it's almost like everyone is going through their own their own circles of hell you know they're 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 atoning in some ways for some of the things that they perceived as being sins in their lives you know right i mean that's usually like in, in all kinds of literature and and in film as well you know whenever there's a, a concept of hell i mean it's it's usually you're faced with the thing that you fear the most and that thing is most of the time it's some sort of like mistake that you've made or some atrocity that you committed while you were alive and then you know, being tormented with that over and over again till till you go insane. And this is kind of like where where um, you know, the the kind of conventional religious aspects of hell, and the uh, you know hypothetical occult version of like scientific, if you will, hell. Because you know, religion, like when when you reading some kind of religious text, like they manifest hell as a, as a, as a place. Right. But in my estimation, like that is a reflection of like an internal place that you're at, like, you know, guilt, you know, and sins are all things that you transgress personally. And when the Christians put together this idea of hell, it's like all these bad things that you've done and you're like, you're, you're serving out a penance or something, or you're dealing with that. And that's kind of like, you know, we're, uh, you know Miller and uh, what's her name there? Peters. Yeah, they they're suffering internally because of all these things that's happened in their lives, and now they're standing on the precipice of what might be considered hell, but it's an actual place that exists in like the continuum of the universe. I've always had a theory about hell, and I mean, obviously, I don't know if I'm right or wrong. No one does, but if you've ever like experience something that's like really embarrassing like you got caught doing something you weren't supposed like to jerking do. off or something like that well yeah anything that like anything that would make you ashamed um you know you got caught in a lie or you got you know you did you, you fucked up you did something you weren't supposed to um 
you, you, there's this always a sensation of like warmth in your body, like your, your face becomes flush. And, and I've always kind of uh, theorized that when you when you are on your deathbed, and you are lying there go, like going through like the archives of your entire life, and you have these regrets and stuff like that, I, I wonder if that that feeling is is maybe even intensified because you're getting close to the end and that feeling of warmth would also translate into feeling like fire. And then like over time it just becomes, you know, hell is this place of fire and brimstone. But like we were saying, there's nothing, no description of hell has anything in it that isn't something that exists on this planet, you know? Yeah. So obviously all the, the concept of hell is, is something that you create in your mind so I think that hell exists inside of us. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's, and, and you know, in any kind of, like, the Bible or any other religious, you know, kind of text, you know, any mythology, religious mythologies out there, there's, um, that gets, ma that internal world gets manifested into a physical place. But in, like, Event Horizon, it's almost like, okay, okay, you guys, like, you think this place really exists? The thing is, it does, <laughs> right, right. It's, but it's not what you think it is. It's right. actually this other dimension of just fucking chaos. Right. You know what I mean? And then that's what we learn. We find the uh, the black box, I'm going to call it, like this DVD, which I think is awesome. It's just basically a DVD. You know? <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. This is like, I don't know, like like actually what, maybe 50 years from now? Probably even farther, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like 20, like the late you know, 21st century or whatever. right. And they and, just had that, they have that like interface. It's just a bunch of disk drives. Yeah, it's like, like a bunch of disk drives. <laughs> and like, they're like, okay, cool. Here's, here's like the, you know, the, the log. And they pull out this, this DVD or whatever yeah. laser disc thing. They <laughs> pop it into their DVD player on the ship and they start, you know, there's all this like um, distortion and whatnot. And then what they find though is like the minute that the, the, um, the crew of the event horizon is about to go into their hyper black hole drive and they, you know, they engage the engine and then the screen, there's like distortion and then they filter out what actually happens. And it's like very much like a, like a Clive Barker version of, of the Inferno, you know what I mean? Like Absolutely. Like wild, you know, like brutality, blood. like blood, blood, sex, like, just depravity basically yeah yeah you and know you, mutilation the worst that you can think of it's going on right there yeah. yeah now um you brought up something that you read about how they filmed that like you were saying oh uh, yeah so um I, I was reading that um that scene which unfortunately is cut down like super uh short um went on for a lot longer and uh in order to like um really sell it um uh paul anderson had to have like people who would be willing to to do something like this because you're not going to get like these you know hollywood actors to do a scene like this so he hired a bunch of porn stars and amputees and then just you know put all the blood and effects all over them like you do anybody else and then had them just have this crazy blood orgy and just filmed it and apparently the scene was originally like 10 minutes long but they cut it down to like only a few seconds unfortunately but yeah yeah but it's pr really effective though too you know yeah, I mean, yeah it might be maybe it's more effective that it's short that way so now um we get to learn what the actual statement is this is where the ship's captain his whole his eyes are ripped out of his head he's, and holding, he's holding his fucking eyes and he's like he's like liberate tutome ex inferas you know and it's like 
Latin for save yourself from hell. Right. right. You know, and I was like, fuck yeah, man. That's sick. <laughs> you know? Like, why Latin? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You I know just, what I mean? It's always, you know, it's always the assumption that uh, demons, for whatever reason, either speak Aramaic or Latin yeah. for some reason. <laughs> but like, like it's, that's a man-made concoction. If there's a demon, he probably doesn't, has a completely different language, right? Like orcs speak, orcs speak, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, I just think it's interesting that like this guy's like, you know, like a, you know, like a military-esque sort of dude, like a captain or whatever. Right, right. Who right. just is like fascinated with Latin, you know? Yeah. But yeah, so now... Now, the cat's out of the bag. Everyone's in danger. We're going to hell unless we fucking deal with this thing. Right. <laughs> you know? So that's when, um, that's when Weir starts getting crazy. And that's when, you know, he's like, I, I need to fucking, you know, go into oblivion, man, basically. And I don't care about the crew. You know, the hell with the Lewis and Clark. Right. Like, I'm on my own path now. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know... Basically, he's going to bring everyone into hell with him, right? So, uh, Miller and Weir have a conflict. Weir gets sucked into outer space, but that's not the last we see of him. No, no, no. You know? So, he comes back as, like, one of the... Well, I guess I said there's no monster, but I guess, in a way, Weir comes back as the monster right. in some ways. I mean, you missed one good part before this, though. Right, what the, was one, that? One of your, one of your favorite parts is... Uh, um, when Miller confronts uh, Weir and Weir has ripped out his own oh, eyes. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. And he's like, what, where's your eyes? And he goes, we don't need eyes where we're going. Yeah, that is one of my favorite parts. Yeah, I was, I was remiss in mentioning that part. That's fucking heavy, man. You think so about heavy. that? You know, it's like, it's such a, I mean, the funny thing is I tried to look up what um, the writer had done other than this. You know, um, the hell's the dude's name? Uh, Philip Philip Eisner. Philip Eisner. Yeah, he hasn't done much, man. Like he, from what I can, maybe any of you guys out there, if you know what Philip Eisner's done, if he's written any short stories or novels or anything, like he did a comic. It looks like, but I never even heard of the comic that he did. Well, I read about this um, uh, on another website because this movie um, unfortunately didn't do good at the box office. It kind of crippled his career for oh, a long time, man. And um, which is which is you know really fucking sucks considering the knowledge of like that he he wrote this movie to like get rid of some personal trauma and it, and it fucked his like his actual writing career up wow but, and he didn't get like another writing credit until like uh, the 2000s like uh like the mid 2000s I, th I think the script for this is pretty brilliant really man it's like it's a shame that you know it's it's um this movie really was way ahead of his time and in a lot of ways yeah, absolutely, and yeah. and like you had mentioned too, like it still looks good, it still holds. Yeah, it's up. still for the most part, it still holds up. Like there's, like the miniatures. I mean, honestly, dude, straight up, like models always look better. Always, you know. So the model, you know, modelry or whatever yeah, looks great. Practical the effects, are cool. always. Yeah, some of the CGI is a little a little ropey. You know, I, I give it, you know, give yeah. it that. But like aside from that, it looks great, man. Really, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, maybe not in 4K or something like that. Yeah, maybe not. Nothing looks good in 4K. Like, everything looks like a porn film in 4K, really. Like, an 80s, like, hyper, like, detail. You can see every little <laughs> right. fucking mole on someone's face. Right, place, every you know? pubic hair. Yeah. But uh, but I think it still looks great. And it's, like, it's a bummer because I think that the appetite in the 90s for horror and sci-fi was a little bit more lighthearted. You know, there wasn't, like, this the heaviness. If this movie had come out later, you know, like, maybe even 10 years later, 
like when all those like French films were coming out right. in the early part of the century, it probably would have been a fucking huge hit, really. Yeah, yeah. You know? Could it very well have just been, you know, um, you know, the the time that it came out at, and like, um, you know, because this movie came out like right around the same time as Titanic. You know, so the, that was that's more the climate of, of the, you know, the moviegoer, the average moviegoer at that time, yeah. you know, you know, and, and in genre films, it was like more like, uh, you know, uh, ironic horror, you know, like like we, we were mentioning, you know, Scream and all those films, yeah, yeah. different, you know, uh, sequels of all those all those movies where it was like tongue in cheek. And there's nothing really tongue in cheek about this. movie. No. It's pretty dead serious. Except for a couple like lines here and there from uh, our one boy. Yeah. 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 That's that's cool though, man. I mean, yeah. That that need it fits. It kind of needed it. Yeah, to, yeah. Yeah. Although I imagine if it didn't have those lines, how fucking heavy this movie would be. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's nice that you got a little like a little uplifting, you know, thing yeah. once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, Weir's back. It's um, very much a a uh, Clive Barkian vibe that he has. He's like naked scars all over his body yeah. and like maybe sigils and things like that and this is my I, I was telling you like this is one of my favorite looks like monster villain whatever you want to go with uh out of any film like i just i find it uh, it's just so well done and it, you can tell like i was saying to you like you can tell that even like the director really liked this look because he's you know, really up close in, in, um, in Dr. Weir's face after he comes back from hell. And yeah, he's got these, you know, what we can only assume are like demonic or satanic, like sigils carved in his skin and just like, just random, like big gouges through his face and head. And, and he's, he's, he's like reborn, like as a crazy, you know, he's seen hell and come back and he liked it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, once again, like a nod to Hellraiser in some ways. Where exactly. Like, you know, yeah. He's like one of these guys who enjoys all that depravity. Right. It's like, he's like, that's, I can't wait to go back. Right. You know? So, uh, the only person really standing between him and, and just everyone going back to hell with him is Miller. And, uh, you know, of course, heroically Miller sacrifices himself. Yeah. We're giving spoiler alerts, spoilers here. Just, yeah. Still watch the film, but so um, he he blows up the bridge and the core, and they they are incinerated, and then uh, the remaining uh, you know crew members are are in uh, the escape part of the escape capsule part of the ship, like the bridge, which becomes the escape pod essentially. Now, let me ask you a question. Yeah. I don't believe my you know my my feeling is that Weir and Miller actually don't die they just go to hell yeah so that's makes that makes Miller's like sacrifice even more intense right right because he's gonna internal damnation like yeah. yeah yeah I also um question if anybody actually got off of that ship because there's the dream sequence when they're like in the cryogenic thing and then they come out of that dream sequence and then like you know it's these, the rescue teams there to like help them out and everything like that. But the movie kind of ends, and it never addresses like any other things after the fact. So I wonder if they're—that's just like a loop too, just to fool them to you huh. know like and you know like there's there's movies that have done this before where like you know the the guy thinks he's 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 beat it or he's done, but then right. like then uh, jokes on him. He's still in the simulation or he's still in like the you know the 
the possession or the hellscape or whatever it might be. And, um, and you know, there's nothing, there's nothing to prove my theory correct or, uh, so, but it's just a, it's just a, a thought I always had. Cause I, I totally agree, uh, with your assumption that, that, um, Weir and Miller, uh, you know, the last, you know, as the event horizon explodes, it takes them into that realm. And, um, I've just sort of, I've just sort of extended that theory into like the rest of the crew, like the entire ship probably. Cause what we know about black holes, they suck everything into them. Right. Yeah. So my, I just add in that maybe perhaps the whole ship got sucked into Oh it. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so you think, all right. Cause the, uh, the event horizon, like the technical term for that is there's a, you know, the black hole is like, you know, infinite mass. So it sucks all matter, light, everything into mm. it. Hence it's black. Okay, it's, you can't perceive anything. The event horizon is the like the borderland of like which from which matter can escape or not escape. So if it's like within the event horizon, that's where it gets sucked in. If it's outside of that, then it's like okay, you can you're you're free and clear. Right. So you're you're purporting that the escape ship was also sucked into hell. Yeah. Well, I never think, thought of that. And if you actually. think about it metaphorically, the ship's called the event horizon. They are in. Within ah, the event horizon, right. okay, you know? interesting. And the and the the actual like the the drive unit is the black hole, right? Oh, so the ship is the corona around the black hole. Okay, all right. And so, but so they're in between like the the border uh, and the black hole. So yeah, that's my that's what I purport. Wow, I never thought of it that way. That's something to consider for sure. But but definitely Weir and Miller. Like Weir gets to go where he wants to go. Right, right. But he's bummed out that he get to his thoughts are he didn't get to suck the rest of the reality in there with him. Sure. And Miller is like, like fucking let's roll. And he just fucking jumps into hell with him. Right. Which I think is so, so incredibly like heroic, man. Yeah, it was that's awesome. Like, that's like falling on your sword kind yeah. of. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, was, it was badass. So great movie, man. Like one of my favorites, man, of all time. And like I, I um, we were talking about the, the missing footage. So, like, last year, I, th I think it was last year, within the last couple of years, Arrow put out another, like, a another, you know, extended Blu-ray of this, which I picked up. Now, you know, I love the Blu-ray that I have. However, I feel a little gypped, a little, little hoodwinked by oh, these yeah, guys. Oh, yeah, you were telling me, yeah. They made it seem like they were going to have this extra footage. Now, this footage exists. It does. And I want to I fucking see it, man. You know what I mean? I want to see what this extra 10 minutes is. <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, they were kind of teasing that it was part of this cut, and it wasn't. So, I mean, it's a beautiful beautiful Blu-ray, but I feel a little let down that it's not part of it. Yeah, that. That, that's kind of shitty. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, whatever. It's out there. Any of you guys out there who have not seen this film, you know, if, if you're following this Patreon, uh, you know, thing that we're doing, you're on the same page as us. Something you got to see. I know some of you have seen it already because in the past we've talked about this movie, but definitely go check this out. Let me ask you a question. Do you think this should be remade? No. I agree with you. People have asked me that same question on the Necromaniacs uh, stream. Like, oh, this would be a perfect movie to be remade. I'm like, well, who the fuck's going to play these characters and who's right. going to write the script? I mean, first and foremost, um, I, I, can't, I cannot see anybody other than Sam Neill playing this Dr. Weir character. And also, you know, the trend nowadays, uh, especially in sci-fi movies, is to do everything with CGI. Yes. And I, and I'm, a, I'm, a, I really dislike CGI. Um, 
even though it's really good nowadays is that, you know, it's harder to tell than it used to be. It just sort of um, kind of breaks the immersion for me. I like when people actually have to be in an actual set and act within an actual set. Definitely. You know, I mean, like the, the that astronaut suits that these uh, these guys wear in this movie were so heavy. Um, I, I was reading this that they were so heavy. They like uh, weighed something around like 100 pounds a piece. Right. That they had these like cables with hooks on them that they could hook the people's in uh, their shoulders to, so that when when they weren't filming, they could get a little bit of relief, right? Because um, the suits were too complex to take off and on wow. in between filming, so they just had to keep these suits on. But that like just something alone like that's gonna make people a little irritable when they're filming, and then that little irritability is gonna come through in the acting, and that's why I think it's important to do movies with practical effects, and just yeah, I think. I think this movie's fine the way it is. Fucking stop remaking movies. Leave everything the way. Leave it alone. Especially this movie. Leave this fucking movie alone. Yeah, everything has like weight, like with the with the practical effects. You know what I mean? And I, the only thing that, like, I'm just gonna like say this. Like, I don't think the film should be remade. But you know how like, um, you know, they they made a TV series out of Let the Right One In. Now originally I was like, fuck that. Like, what kind of story are you gonna tell? Mm-hmm. But what they actually did was pretty cool. It was like. Very, very, the concept of it. And they just came up with their own thing. Yeah. Their own storyline. It doesn't even take place in Sweden. It takes place in, in New York. Okay. You know, it's like uh, the only thing that's similar to the original idea was that there's a young girl. That's it. Mm. And then she's a vampire. The whole, everything else is like completely original and new. And, uh, you know, even the nature of vampirism in that show is, is like, related to like a medical thing it's not even like you know right an ambiguous like curse or whatever that's the only way event horizon could be remade is like if you gave it to like like a guys like benson and moorhead or something like that and say harry here's event horizon do your riff on this right you know like a black hole drive and hell sure go 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 with it yeah if it if it was if it was somehow like it was related in spirit, but not like a, you know, a cut by cut remake of the film. Yeah, totally. Then I think it could, it, it have, would have potential. Yeah. Yeah. I would like to see someone else like come up with their own story based, based on just, all right, we have a, we have a, a, a warp drive with a black hole and there has to be hell involved. <laughs> sure. I mean, any, a very easy way to do something like that too, would just be like, you know, they somehow they stumbled across Dr. Weir's like work and then someone tries to recreate Dude. his work. Now you're talking. Right. Yeah. yeah. They find his journals. Right. You right. know, and they refer to Dr. Weir like, oh, you know, we, he went missing. It was no one. No one. Would, well, all right. In your, with your theory. No one would know. No one would know. Right. Like we would have like, you know, the crew members are also in hell. Right. right? And then no, there would be another disappearance. Right. And then like someone would find his uh, calculations and his notebooks and all this stuff. And they were like, oh, you know, like. You know, maybe even like some renegade guy, like who's not part of the establishment. It's like I'm going to try to reproduce this, you right? Know? And then he designs another ship, and then that's where the story starts, right? And and you know, when Doctor Weir invented this thing, he had no like, uh, at least as far as we know, he had no knowledge that it was going to like open up a portal to hell. So anybody who f- would find said work would also not know that it would potentially open a portal to hell, and you could have this reoccurrence that way where yeah. like yeah or it could be just like whatever happened to dr weir i want to find like i want to you know oh, yeah or that too yeah 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 like he just you know people would celebrate him as some kind of genius but there'd be mysteries about his disappearance yeah. and all that 
And then you could have you could have a weird character who's not played by Sam Neill if say they ventured into hell and find him in hell. Yeah. Like he becomes like maybe he's like hell's ambassador or some shit sure. like that because he's been yeah. there so long, you know. Like so I, I don't I'm not against I'm not against that at all. I think that would be interesting for yeah. sure. But yeah, I uh, I would like them not to like do what they did to like my precious the thing. Yeah. 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 So there you go. Someone write it up and let us know. Yeah. And then yeah. you got the idea from us, so we'll get a cut. Yeah, give us credit. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Evan, thanks, man. This is great. Absolutely. And we got to do more of these in person, man. That'd be cool. Yeah, hell yeah. This is really fun. I enjoy yeah. this. Well, you know, my house is your house. And, you know. I really appreciate it, man. Thank you. Once again, everyone, thanks for supporting the show. Thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you next time. <laughs> <laughs>